0: But I'm hemmed in by God's word. I've read what Jesus said, and I don't have a good reason not to, except I'm scared, and I don't want to do it. And I don't want to stand before my Savior with those type of excuses. And so th- those are the type of men and women that are showing up. Um, that's, again, the background. As we were, uh, and again, we served overseas for 20 years. We came back, saw a lot of stuff, didn't have time to get into that. But uh, as we, uh, a few of us were getting together to talk about this idea of a training program, um, some of us had taught in, you know, Christian colleges. And and I remember, man, every day, every year graduation, I I, I just kind of felt conflicted. Okay, now all of my students, i taught a cross-cultural church planning class. Now all of my students can talk about missions. They're in no way prepared to do it. Because we could not touch character in the classroom. We can academically fill their heads with necessary and good stuff. That's great. But we haven't touched their character one bit in the classroom. And so, man, we were uh, convinced that uh, the biggest component of the radius training would be character. We're trying to turn out finishers. It's been talked about a few different times. Starting's easy. Ones that will finish. We saw, we saw where we lived among the teddies, We saw one tribe in particular, I won't name names, uh, Where missionaries. Just a revolving door. And everyone that left, those people got harder to reach. Their hearts got hard because the missionaries had let them down, let them down, let them down. I remember before Beth and I helicoptered in, there was an old, old grizzled vet. The living definition of a grizzled vet. His name was Dale Palmer. love that man. I actually didn't love him at the time, but I appreciate him now. And uh, Dale Palmer sat me down without Beth around. He said, young man, unless you're ready to spend 15 years in that hole in the jungle, don't even start. Become a supply buyer. Become a government rep. Become a school teacher. Become Do anything in the support realm. Do not touch people's lives unless you're ready to finish this thing. Turned out it took longer than 15 years. Um, So as we were getting ready to, some of us were talking over the curriculum. uh, Brooks' younger brother, Brandon, had read this book by John Piper called Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ. They said, Dad, you ought to read that. And uh, I read it, and and the stunning clarity of the book uh, really became the core of what is now the theology of suffering component that takes a few months down there at Radius. We walk slowly through the lives of William Tyndale, of John Payton, and of course Adam Judson. Um, The the book is uh, stellar. I'll I'll just give you, uh, and I I should have said something, but it's not back there. I wish you could get it. It it is worth uh, a few shekels uh, to get it. he starts off with this premise. It's in the premise, preface. One of the most sobering discoveries of my life is that God spreads the life-giving news about Jesus Christ by means of suffering and martyrdom. That's what the lives of William Tyndall, Adoniram Judson, John Payton illustrate. They were living and dying examples of Colossians one twenty four. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, Afflictions are not merely the result of missionary faithfulness, but also the means. And so this is one thing that we are constantly, constantly, from day one as a student at Radius, there's going to be a price tag. I don't know what yours will be. Uh, I have a fairly good idea what ours was for Beth and I. Uh, Brooks turned six and we put him on an airplane to the missionary boarding school. He, didn't, he couldn't even count to six. Okay, He had no idea how many weeks he'd be there. Just, ah, I'm on the airplane. And we're waving him by. Our hearts are in that plane. And a couple of years later, his uh, younger brother, Brandon, was on the same airplane with him, going to the boarding school. And a couple of years later, uh, their younger sister, Natalie, was on the airplane going to the boarding school. Uh, When we hit the total button, our kids were gone from us 24 years uh, in those years that we were uh, among the Teddy people. Uh, Definitely the hardest thing that we went through. We felt like our heart and our lungs and our kidneys were flying away, hanging on the balance of one little propeller of a little Cessna 185. Uh, Those years of separation, uh, absolutely the hardest thing that we went through. And our kids and Beth and I would do it again. We'd do it again in a heartbeat. We saw the Eteni Church come into being. We saw eternal life permeate those valleys around. It is worth it. And as our students walk through the pages of filling up the afflictions, uh, we are always careful. Folks, as you walk through your worst case scenario, boarding schools aren't that common anymore. Uh, Hostage taking is much more common. Uh, We have to prepare them for that. Uh, We have courses in high stress marriaging. High stress parenting. Think through your worst case scenario. And understand on your darkest day. The darkest moment of that. And the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with with you. Uh, He will gird you up. His presence will give you. Maybe not serenity, but a peace that passes all understanding. He'll go with you and he is with you. And his presence just does come to be at your side. So we're not trying to create morbidity. Uh, We're not trying to create a a default uh, depression atmosphere down there. But we have to talk about these things. And if missionaries don't walk through these scenarios in their mind before they go, there's very little point in them going. Absolutely very little point in them going. We had a couple, uh, and not just for the mom and dad, but for their kids. Are you ready to bury a child? I'm not being cavalier. We don't talk about it in glib, glib terms. Uh, we do all we can. We fly out. We get medical attention as we can. Our first furlough, because one of, our, one of our kids had a medical situation. We came back to the USA early. We only stayed four years. We were supposed to stay five. We stayed four, came back, got the medical situation attended to. Uh, but uh, yeah, So we're not glib. But we must walk down these dark, hard, unfortunate roads and realize that the sovereign God ordains these things. I commended one couple this year. They got halfway through the course. They had some wonderful children. And the wife just made it clear to her husband, I cannot bear the thought of bearing a child overseas. And to their credit, they dropped out. I mean that. To their credit, they dropped out. Uh, don't start down this road. Don't take your church's support monies if you're not ready to pay the ultimate price and if you're not ready to see your kids pay the ultimate price. Guys, we're not preparing students to suffer well if we don't actually talk about these things. And for any of you that are looking at being radius students, uh, this is the type of stuff that you're going to be hearing on a regular basis. In John 24, John 12, uh, Jesus gives us the immutable the immutable law of spiritual multiplication. John 12:24, and part of 25. Truly, truly, I say to you. So in other words, Jesus is not joking around here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's the immutable law. You gotta fall into the ground and die. And I'm not a farmer. I don't know anything about farming. Yeah, I, I, I've seen cows, I actually dehorn cows, you know, that was when we were in training in Oregon. I can tell you a few other cow stories, but that's really the extent of my, and I've never driven a tractor except to mow our airstrip. you know, so I don't know anything about planting. But I've talked to a few farmers, and the thing about uh, getting wheat in off, uh, out of the field, uh, wheat gets cut, and immediately the head of that wheat, it gets cut off from the stem and from the roots. It's cut off from its family, from its place of comfort, and then that wheat has to, that little head of wheat has to go through the, the first death. The first death is as it dries out, because you can't take that fresh-cut wheat head and kernel it up there and then put those things in the ground. Do you know why? They're too green. They have too much life. They'll rot. And in the same way as that kernel of wheat needs to dry out before it's put into the ground, so the gospel worker needs to have his life, his energy, his strength milked out of him. It can't be your life, your energy, your strength. It has to be the Lord working through you. If you're not tapped into him, you'll rot. If you're relying on your own strength, you're not going to make it. And so they get cut off. And then it says, well, the next reality is it's put into the ground. All by itself. The whole head of the wheat doesn't go in there. It's just one kernel at a time that goes in there. Last week, <clears throat> uh, to make this point, last week we, uh, was our last week of Radius. And we showed the first 24 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. There's a lot of reasons we do that. It's, uh, man, it's ghastly. It's horrible. The confusion, the panic, uh, the bullets flying. When the gates go down, and we talk about to the students, the gates are going down immediately. Boys getting shell shocked and and bullets right in their helmets. Dropping like flies. Trained, healthy, passionate, competent warriors. Dropping like flies. We can give these guys all the training in the world. We're trying to tell them it's on the Lord now. It's on the Lord. You do the best you can. It's in God's hand because you have a real enemy. It's not about the gore of D-Day when they're taking Omaha Beach. That's, That's background to what we're trying to accomplish. You have a real enemy who's out to wipe you out. You get back into pornography, you stop your daily devotions, you stop the spiritual disciplines that you have mastered while you're here, you let up on those, boom, you're gone. You're done. You'll be a stat, because your enemy is real. But another reason that we showed that video is that, guys, we want you to know as students, you're not hitting the beach with a thousand other men at your side. You don't even have a hundred other men. You don't even have four men. You're going there by yourself. Or maybe with a wife and with these kids that make you a soft target. you know that soft target term? That comes from the U.S. Embassy. They used to come around to the bases that we were at and beg frontline folks like my wife and I to get out of those positions. You're too close to the border. You're a soft target and we're not sending in the 6th Fleet if you guys get taken hostage. We got evacuated a couple different times. We had raiders in the area many times. Uh, it's a reality. This is, this is the realm of new missions, of missions today. And if we're not aware of these things and committed to staying and being soft targets, not stupid targets, not reckless targets, targets that know the odds, know the realities out there, and then we stay. We just stay. We just stay. Yep, we got evacuated twice also. <clears throat> There's another... Uh, book that we've flashed to our students this one this one here it's called Bedford Boys by Alex Kershaw and uh it's not a Christian book by any means but it talks about what happened at Omaha Beach <clears throat> and uh you know one of the wonderful things about the little portion that we show in Band of Brothers Band of Brothers is actually based off of this book and uh, at the end of the day uh, Tom Hanks he's Lieutenant Miller he says uh, Dog Beach is open after all the sacrifices, all the loss, all the gore, all the horror, broken bodies, dog beaches open, took to the afternoon. And I think of that and the Lord Jesus saying, I'm going to build my church. It will be accomplished, but there will be sacrifices. And man, we must take the blinders off our eyes. We have to be almost super cultural. We have to hearken back to a day when men laid down their lives for their country and for their savior. If our churches, our sending churches, are not ready to endure sacrifices, if that's too much, don't send. Your missionaries are going to need you to have their back. Stay. Stay. Probably most of my students are just giggling because we talk about this ad nauseum. Stay. Churches, help your folks to stay on the field. Times that Beth and I wanted to leave, and we could have, man, Driven up a sob story, and our church would have patted us on the back. After 15 years, we had a horrific thing happen to us on the field. Won't go into the details. And, uh, man, we we could have wound that thing up into the great story, been hailed as conquering heroes. But we knew the work among these Teddy people was not done. The point of this book here, he makes it so well. As he talks about those young men that were in those landing craft at Omaha Beach. And uh, this, he's not trying to make a big point, but I saw the similarities between us and what we're out to do as the church of Jesus Christ. He makes the point that the boys in those landing craft could be basically separated into, into two groups. The ones that admitted, I'm dead already. I might as well do my job. Versus the ones that were clinging to life, hiding behind every piece of metal that was on the beach. The point he makes was, The ones who took Omaha Beach were the ones that were dead to themselves already. They did the job. And for us to leave the USA with an idea of, well, I've got this future career. And I've got this. And I've got this. And I've got a plan. And I've actually got a clock ticking in my head. And I'm going to be there about X amount of years. Don't even go. The enemy will call your bluff. You're there for the duration. You're there until a church is planted. Yeah, there's a thousand different steps in that evangelism discipleship men working with families some of these guys are going to have to start businesses it's complex today in in a sense where beth and i didn't have to endure that but you're still there for the duration because for you to leave before it's done the next people will encounter a harder group of people you're dead already you're dead already quit scratching for the surface Quit, quit scratching do your job do your job. You're there to see a church planted. Man, and as we can imbue that into the mindset of these men and women that come to us, uh, still scared. Uh, you know, maybe the first week they kind of come in with a little bit of a strut, you know, man, I'm a superhero in my church, you know. And as they hear about what it's going to take, man, that just, there's no strutting going on after a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very, very sobering, the environment that's there. But this is exactly what Jesus is referring to. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If it dies, it will, if it will let go of any earthly aspirations, this world has nothing for me. I want to be found faithful, faithful. And if God cuts me off, if he cuts off my life before I see that church plan, that's on God. But it's not going to be me that's taking myself out of this race. Not going to be me. I'm going to walk uprightly. I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to do all I can to be the most usable vessel in God's hand because he's worth it. And my Savior wants to be known among every tongue, tribe, and nation. And I'm going to give my life to make him known among this language group. <clears throat> Paul will say the same thing. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. There's no morbidity in that. Paul, in fact, as Paul writes that, it's kind of a trap. Man, I'd, I'd rather be out of here, to be honest with you. Living here in this jail, living for you, it kind of sucks, okay? But I'll, I'll keep doing it. I'll keep doing it because it's beneficial for you. He writes in Philippians chapter one. It's beneficial for you. It's not I'm accruing my 501 3B or whatever, 50 what, I I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not seeing my accounts growing. And so I want to hang around a little bit to enjoy the retirement. Can you imagine Paul talking about retirement? Where in the heck did that get traction in the church today? We work till we drop. We work till we drop because there are still 3,100 plus language groups. That our Savior wants to be worshipped and known by and honored by. That's all of our thing. Not, that's not a radius thing. My gosh, that's a God thing. That's a Savior thing. Man, this is why the Apostle Paul could say and talk like that. Man, students, if they have a secret plan B that they're hopefully living out, not going to work out so well. We encourage them. Take the watch off. Take the calendar off the wall. You're there for the duration. Not at Radius. You're there where you're going to build that church. We must accept Paul's charge to the Colossian believers that he says in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. There you go. Same thing that the author is saying. You've died. This world has nothing for you. Oh, more trinkets out there. Yeah, get your RV and jet ski and go play after you're 50. Oh, really? That's a life? This one short little life we have to give honor to our king and we're going to settle for a jet ski and a trip up north? (laughs) I I honestly don't get it. When we have the privilege of living for the king of kings and lord of lords and making him known, what else do we want to do? My gosh. You know... You're a mixed crowd here, but many times I'm talking to younger people, and I love telling them, "You, know, you guys are all young and beautiful." You're not young and beautiful. You're like middle-aged and older, and so we all suck. All of us guys, but we were young and beautiful. <laughs> Blink your eyes, and we're all. Oh yeah, you guys over there are looking all awesome. You're going to suck too. Big bellies, bald heads, <laughs> and you're going to be in your sixties and seventies and eighties with tubes coming out of you. Where are the grandkids? Where are the grandkids? Your life is over so quick. And These are the rich years. These are the years you get to lay down your life and live large for your king. Why in the world would we not? Talking to some young men yesterday, and uh, some things they want to do. That's common. There were things I wanted to do. We all have things we wanted to do. I had this stinking youth pastor. Behind his back, we called him the youth pastor from hell, because nobody really liked him. But he taught us God's word, and he taught us to die to our dreams, our goals, our ambitions. Let our king's dreams and goals and ambitions eclipse those. The Lord Jesus made clear, if you want to turn over to the book of Acts, through Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, Ananias would inform Paul upon his salvation. I will show him him what great things he must suffer for my name. So, Paul's get go introduction, his Christianity 101, you're going to suffer. And it wasn't going to be confined to Paul. Everywhere he went, he informed them, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Paul lives so vibrantly as he's recovering up there in Damascus that he creates such a stir that the other followers of Jesus had to drop him down through a little net or basket, get him, out of the, get him out of the place. And still he goes on in chapter 9 of Acts, and he goes, man, Barnabas, how, man, how many minutes can we talk about Barnabas? Son of encouragement. He takes a risk on this guy, Saul, and he ushers him into the apostles, and he's there in Jerusalem, and he gets such a stir going among the Grecian Jews uh, that they got to get him out of there. Get him back up where he's from. Get him back to Tarsus. He's just, this guy's too hot to handle. And he would go from hot to handle to hot to handle. Luke, turn over to, I'm sorry, t- turn over to the book of Acts chapter 14. So Paul finally is set aside by the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas. And they go on their first journey. They hit Pisidian Antioch. Uh, they hit Lystra. Excuse me. They go from there um, up to, um, yeah yeah to Iconium and then they're over in Lystra and of course they had typically they had a great reception and then the afterglow party turned into basically a beating up on Paul Paul gets rousted out of every place that he's going to but then this place here is a little bit different uh, has a wonderful reception they worship him you know Thor and Zeus Verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So Paul and Barnabas are hailed. Oh my gosh, they healed this guy here. They're loved, you know, they're doing a wonderful reception. And then of course, in verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. Wait, 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 Luke, slow down. Hold, hold on, man, Luke, the dispassionate narrator. Luke, wait a second, can you, can you just camp on that? They thought he was dead. These guys were professional stoners, okay? Not in the current definition of that. But they, <laughs> they knew what dead people looked like. Can you imagine what Paul looked like? Stone after stone after stone after stone. He's dead. And no doubt they're not just looking at him. I mean, they, hey, yeah, we killed him. What did Paul look like? I can imagine Luke's narrative, okay? Broken nose, head, head wounds all over the place, blood pools everywhere, broken. Who knows what Paul looked like? Do we get any description from Luke? Not a bit. Because that's not the point. The gospel going forward. There's a guy here named Ben Timmersma. i got to talk to him last night. It was so fun. <laughs> His brother, I can say this because it's not a closed country, his brother's in Chad. And uh, what a guy, down there at Radius a couple years ago, got married. Him and his wife and the teammates that are now all there in that country uh, they came back to Radius to say goodbye. And, you know, we, we love all these students. Uh, it's brutal to see them leave us. Anyway, so we're out having some tacos. And uh, I asked, there's like five of them there. My wife and I are having a great time with them. And uh, I said, hey, uh, did you guys take a, a vision trip to Chad? Yeah. I mean, it's right there in the Sahara. Okay. It's hotter than Hades there. It's, it's a brutal place to live. Did you guys take a vision trip? And I loved Mark's reply. He says, what's the point? I know I'm going to hate it. <laughs> I love that. I'm not going to like it, but I'm going. It's not about you. It infuriates me to look at missionary allocation tables. The cooler the climate, the more missionaries go there. A direct correlation. Man, we found out there were missionaries that come to Papua New Guinea, and they would only go above 3,200 feet. That's where the malaria mosquitoes begin to lessen out. And it's obviously cooler at 3,200 feet than it is right down there in the Sepik Plain. Tell you what, I'm not leadership in PNG anymore, but if they would have said that, if they would have intimated that, get on back there to the United States. You don't allocate based on, do you like it? Do you not? Where are these people groups at? That's why we go where we go. The word of God and the ability and willingness to endure, endure, endure. And Chad up here the other day, he took my line, but I'm going to say it again. Man, we are trying to eradicate the idea of thriving with radio, with radio students. It's not about thriving. Endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. I had that dad. Why don't we get involved in civilian affairs? Because it's all sinful? No. It's distracting. It's distracting. You and I are men and women under orders, we were bought at a price. We are owned by another. And I'm quoting my youth pastor. And because of that, the only rightful thing to do is to find out what his goal, his dream, his passion, his desire is. And to spend every last breath you have living it out. Man, impacted. You know, Brooks at times, he'll, he'll talk to groups and I get, I get wind. I've never heard him actually say it, but he'll say, uh, you know, I'm kind of like a, a well-prepared uh, uh, glass of Cabernet. My dad, on the other hand, he's like Jack Daniels. Okay. Well, if there's any truth to that, I'll say this. My youth pastor was like a shot of tequila, okay? (laughs) Bam, bam, gut blow after gut blow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Finally just wore you down with the teaching of God's word. How do I go into a future career in surfing? Oh, yeah, and I got great encouragement. Oh, Brad, you ought to surf for Jesus. I love that idea, let me tell you. But this youth pastor from hell wore me down with the word of God, the word of God. And I don't want to face my savior someday. Yeah, look at my cool surfboard. Jesus airbrushed on the back of it. Mm-mm. No way. I can just imagine Paul looking over the shoulder of Luke. You know, Luke was there when Paul's in his last imprisonment. And uh, I have no doubt that some of this was actually written down when Luke was in the cell with Paul. And Paul's looking over his shoulder as, as, as Luke is writing it. And then Paul got stoned to death and the blood was coming out of his nose, out of his hip. Out of the... No, 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 don't write that. That's irrelevant. My sufferings are irrelevant. We know nothing of what the apostles' wives and children went through because it's absolutely irrelevant. No, it's not the point. Please don't get me wrong. I love my wife. I've got four kids. I've got 10 grandkids. I don't know, 20 more on the way. I don't know. But (laughs) the point is, will we be used as a family, as a mom and dad, wife and husband, until we drop. Until we drop. And so I'm sure... Paul is part of editing out all the blood spurts and all the emotive stuff that would have made it a much more vibrant, visible, easy to read story. And Paul would dictate maybe something like this. Come on, Luke. The only thing is that we have to know is, but in verse 40, but verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. That's the point, Luke. You write that. The gospel went forward. Yeah, I got stoned. I got a couple nicks on my head here. I don't know what the guy looked like after that stoning. Yeah, and that's just one of them. My gosh, you know, somebody else was talking about what he went through in the realm of whippings and scourgings and beatings. Turn over to Acts chapter 20, if you would. This is the attitude that the gospel worker today... He can't just leave it to Judson and read the story and go, Whoa, whoa, that's heavy. That's heavy. If gospel workers aren't prepared to bury children, they ought not to be going. Let them be a helicopter pilot. Let them be working at the school base. Let them do these things that will not endanger their children. But if we're going to send frontline missionaries to go to these last language groups, learn their languages, preach the gospel, plant churches, this cannot be an untouchable discussion. Anybody who's thinking, my family's first, my family's first, missions isn't for you. In the sense that we're talking about completing the great commission. And that's all Radius is doing. We're not training support workers. We're training people to go to the tip of the spear that will hazard their lives. And more difficult and with much more difficulty hazard the lives of their kids. You know, the first year that we ran Radius, we, did, we had no children. Uh, we, we just thought, you know, it's just a hassle. You know, we don't have short-term staff. You know, we, we're not equipped for it. And then we rethought that. And the second year we had children there. Changes everything. The consecrated single guy, he'll lay down his life. Consecrated single woman, she'll lay down her life. Get him married. A little tougher. I got somebody I really love over here. And then you add the wobble factor of having children. Then you're a real soft target. And then you'll find out how deep your consecration really is when you put your kids into the equation. Acts chapter 20, it's a moving situation. Of course, Brooks stole my verses yesterday, but I will not hold that long-term against you, son. (laughs) Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says this, And now compelled... By the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I consider my life nothing to me. Have you thought about that? I consider my life nothing to me. Retire? Are you kidding? There's work to be done with the gospel. I've told our students, you know, and, and, and I, unfortunately, I have a wife who remembers a lot of what I say. Because there's many times when we get done driving out of the radius campus. I am wiped out. I'm like, man, honey, I don't know how many years I can do this. And my sweet little wife, honey, just shut up. Uh, you know, you're doing this until you drop. Or else I'm babbling in the corner and spittles coming out of the side of my mouth. Yeah. And that's maybe not that far away. <clears throat> we work till we drop. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We count our lives as nothing. That we may find where can we fit in. Man, guys, I was encouraged in that church, you know, small, local church meeting. How many people are involved with their local churches in the mission sense? Many of you guys. Man, going overseas to an unreached people group. Not in the cars, man. You've aged out, okay? And that's not meant to be offensive. That's just a reality but take your churches and turning them, turn them into engines for completing the Great Commission. Fit in where you can. As my wife's parents raised her, and they raised her, honey, you're expendable for your king. Raise your kids to be expendable for their king. Don't grip them to yourself. It's not fun having your kids or grandkids raised. I get it. This is short. This is short. Man, we're going to have eternity to high five and get to know our grandkids in ways that we couldn't get to know them here. Don't live for now, honestly, folks. If heaven's not real, this whole conference and radio should be shut down. But we believe it is. Heaven is real, and it will be worth it. Man, this heartrending, heartrending leaving that Paul endures there in the area of Miletus, saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, and then Paul would leave Asia, and it doesn't stop, of course. He would land in Ptolemaeus, uh, verse 7 of chapter 21. We'll look over there. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a while. Stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters. I love that Luke includes Philip. We haven't seen Philip since Acts chapter 8, Uh, Philip, the guy that went down to Samaria. Philip actually gets pushed out of Jerusalem because of the persecution that Paul was leading the way on. Philip doesn't stop. He goes down to Samaria and sees some converts happen there. And then we see Philip, you know, talking with the Ethiopian eunuch and the whole wonderful story of that guy's salvation. Philip's used back in Acts chapter 8. And then he goes off the scene. And then we pick up again the same Philip here in Acts chapter 21. Just this faithful guy. No books, no movies. He reminds me of a guy in our church. Paul Gervasi. 40 years, Paul was the best man in my wedding. There'll never be a book written about Paul. There'll never be a film. He's just done his job, done his job, done his job. Paul, I'll say this, maybe not the greatest people skills in the world, world, but Paul's a sticker. He's going to stay, he's going to endure. I I, I would run out of minutes to tell you the things that Paul and his dear wife, Bella, have overcome. And I'm honored to have a guy like Paul as the best man in my wedding. He He stood there. We went through one year training after that. And then I didn't see Paul for 20 years. He was faithfully working in Indonesia. And all because of Pastor Vaughn. Other guys I could talk about. Dave Brun over in the island of New Britain. Pastor Vaughn. Bill Davis. Philippines. Pastor Vaughn. Decade after decade after decade. Because Vaughn was raising up soldiers. He wasn't raising up friends. He wasn't affirming us. He was giving us a model. Which he was. And he said follow me. I could, I could take the rest of my time talking about him. Here's Philip, a faithful guy. And after <clears throat> verse 10, it says this. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it. And said, the Holy Spirit says in the same <clears throat> this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Well, pretty, pretty clear warning from a prophet. And when we heard this, and this is interesting that Luke includes himself in the naysayers. Luke includes finally himself, don't do this, Paul. He basically keeps himself out of the narrative. But this is one of the few, few times he includes himself in the narrative. When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Remember, Beth and I came back after our first uh, furlough. And uh, it had been rough when Brooks was in the boarding school. Don't go back. Don't go back. We, we had one couple, and they had the means to do it. We will relocate part of the Eteti tribe up to the school base so you can live closer to your son while he's in school. They meant it. Good-hearted people. I had to tell them, man, that, that's not the incarnational model that we see from Jesus. He didn't teleport people to heaven. He came down and lived among us. Don't go back. Don't go back. We had one saint. I could never do that. I love my kids too much. Whew. There's a gut blow. Uh, Man, the the blows that some of our students will take from well-intentioned people. Man, this group, they loved the Lord and they loved Paul. Don't go, don't go, don't go. But Paul's clarity of vision that he alone had to maintain in a very confused time, he replies like this. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. We're doing all we can in the nine short months that we have with these students to give them such a clarity of vision of the worthiness of the Lord Jesus that when things are very confused, when they're on their version of Omaha Beach, they keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Take the next step, as Judson would quote, and we get it from Judson, just stay one more day. Those guys on Omaha Beach, they couldn't hit the eject button they couldn't hit the send and get those plane tickets bought in the quietness of their own home. It's harder for students today because they have the option of leaving any time they want. And many times churches won't ask the questions and they won't be there to say, guys, do not come home. This is not the time to do it. We can turn over to Second Timothy and we see Paul's words here as he's at the end of his life I'll tell you what, folks, I I had some discussions last night with two parents in particular. Uh, They reminded me of Ann Heseltine's parents. And uh, I I have to read this before we conclude. I'm going to pull a Chad. I'm going to go over by 25 minutes. No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You guys didn't need another break. Come on, it's all you've been doing is eating and drinking coffee. When Adam and Judson wanted to uh, get Ann Heseltine's hand in marriage, he wrote this letter. And I felt like I was talking to the father who received this letter last night. As he talked about what's ahead for his daughter. He has raised some incredible kids. And I, I'm quite sure we're going to see some of them down there getting trained in just a couple years. Iron wrote this to Ann's father as he asks her in marriage. I have to ask you whether you can now consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing, immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this and hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? You're not going to see your daughter again. She gets on that ship with me. You're not going to see her again. And he didn't. With the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior. From heathen saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair. Raise your kids like this. Hold them loosely, raise them well in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do not cling to your kids, release them back to your God. Talked to a couple dads last night. That's exactly what they're going through. Paul would say at the end of his life, and God willing, there will be many who say the same thing in this group here For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And this encourages me. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed, longed for his appearing. They've lived in such a way that this life holds nothing for them. I'm longing for him to come back. Longing for him. I want that crown of righteousness, guys. Not because I've earned righteousness. Oh, I could never earn righteousness. Paul talks about his frustration seeking righteousness, which he can never attain to in Romans 3 and 4. We get it by the grace of God. But we also get it because we've led faithful lives. We've run the race. There is a correlation between how you run the race and what awaits you in heaven. In Hebrews 11, the author there, he will talk of Men and women that hazarded their lives and many of them laid their lives down. There's a a list of wonderful outcomes. There's the next half of that list with really, really rough outcomes. And then the author is allowed to write in Holy Scripture. He's allowed to write in Holy Scripture these words. The world was not worthy of them. Talking about fallen men and women. Tell you what, some of these kids, young adults, adults walking around these black t-shirts... You're walking around heroes. And I don't know all of your stories. I'm sure there's many stories of that. And about you it will be said. I hope you're striving to live that kind of life. To raise those kind of kids. That the Lord Jesus will allow to be said of them. The world wasn't worth them. Well done. Well done. As we raise our children in this way. As we can train the ones that you're sending to us with this type of mentality. We can see the great commission accomplished. There's lots of other stuff to do in the Christian world. I'm not trying to exclude that. But we've got to get the Great Commission accomplished. His last marching orders, crystal clear. Let's focus on that. Let's do other things too. men, orphanages, schools, hospitals. Praise God. But we've got to get the Great Commission accomplished, guys. Because we've been doing the other stuff for hundreds of years. Now let's get back to our marching orders. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and women that are here. God, use these churches that are represented here today to be engines for completing your last orders, your heartfelt command to be known, worshipped, and honored among all peoples. Bless these words, Lord, and may your word drive deep into all of our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.